Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Now that I've moved up to management, we're going to have an opening behind the bar and we're going to need to fill it. Oh, wait a minute. You know, there's a guy in here the other day had an application that was fantastic. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Time out, time out, Timmy. Does this mean that you're going to be hiring another full-time bartender? Yeah. I have to advise you, I think that's unwise. You sure? I'd stake my career on it. You're unemployed. (laughs) All right, I'll stake your career on it. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and back to help me review the episode Relief Bartender is returning guest Omar Yudin. What's up, Omar? Hey, Ryan. Great to be here again. Great to have you, too. Uh, You've been on the show plenty of times. We don't need to get into any more, so let's dive into this one. Talking about Season 4, Episode 23. This is the last episode before our big three-part season finale. This episode, Relief Bartender, written by Miriam Trogdon. Uh, and I'll come back. I have a note about that. Uh, directed by Jim Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, March 27th, 1986. After reading about the success of another Boston Red Sox player who owns several bars in the area, Sam gets the idea that he can increase and expand his business by stepping out from behind the bar and taking on the role of manager slash host. This means prioritizing Cheers' use as a function for large parties and gatherings and hiring a new bartender to help Woody. As Sam's accountant, Norm, warns Sam that if this doesn't succeed right away, it could be financially crippling to the bar. Sam proceeds, nonetheless, hiring a fresh young bartender named Ken. He uses Cheers to host the monthly meeting of the Benevolent Order of the Caribou, spending a lot of money on a lavish shellfish spread. Turns out, though, that the Caribou Lodge only has three members, having only gotten their charter the month before, and they're not big crab eaters. The whole scheme is a bust. Sam knows he must fire Ken and go back to how things used to be, but when he meets Ken's family, he feels too sympathetic and decides to fire the younger, unattached Woody instead. Then Ken tells Sam that he found another job, so Sam begs Woody to come back, but the woodman agrees only after shrewdly getting a raise from Sam. All right, that was the episode. Um, Omar, I've known you since I was 16 years old, and all that time you've been one of my closest friends, and I repay that by giving you some of the lesser episodes of Cheers. Uh, you you <laughs> helped me cover Tortelli Tort in the first season, which I think was the low part of that season. And not going to beat around the bush. I think this is the lowest episode of season four. I still maintain that Cheers never made a bad show. And this one has a lot of good and some laughs about it. But we're both on the same page. This was kind of a meh episode. Sure. And, you know, it was it was notable mainly because Cheers doesn't typically have uh, what I would consider what you would consider weaker filler episodes. Um, so when there is one that is not quite as stellar, it's immediately noticeable. And, you know, in going through this one again, I mean, I had seen every episode, uh, at least a couple times previously, and I had no memory of this one. And I realized, you know, about halfway or three quarters of the way through, it was just because it it just seemed inherently unmemorable. And I, I went as far as 
uh, following up with you, messaging you and, and, you know, kind of gently inquiring, um, are you, are you as underwhelmed by this one as I am? Because I just, <laughs> I definitely was not feeling it, uh, for a whole host of reasons that, uh, obviously we can, we can get into, but, um, you know, I, I think we're talking about a situation where a stellar, um, relentlessly creative, relentlessly funny sitcom can just sometimes be a victim of its own success. And it is a testament to how great it is, how, you know, how much they were firing on all cylinders, even near the end of season four, which is pretty unheard of for most long running shows. Um, it's a testament to how high a level they were playing at that an episode like this, which in a vacuum wouldn't necessarily be considered bad per se, but um, you know, by cheer standards, it's, it's very underwhelming. It's just noticeable how that kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. And I wonder if in some part of it, it's, it's in part the placement of the episode so close to the end of the season. You know, if this was in the middle, if this was episode 15 or 16, would it stand out as much? Would it be as noticeable? Possibly. But the thing is, like, they had been building a momentum up to this point. Like, the last three episodes that preceded this, you've got Save the Last Dance for Me, which is a Carla and Nick episode. Those are always highlights mm-hmm, just because mm-hmm. of the energy that Nick brings into it. And then the two episodes after that, Fear is My Co-Pilot, where you have the second half of the show is all Sam and Diane in a plane, and they think it's going to crash. And they're like clinging to each other, thinking about, oh, my God, we're about to die. What, uh, what, what should we have done differently in our lives? And they think about they should have gotten married. They should have been better couples to each other. And, and they, they're kind of professing that they still love each other because they think their life is going to be over in a second. And then the plane is, you know, they're, they're just saved and everything like that. And then they just kind of have to deal with the fact that, okay, well, we, we have these feelings and now we're aware of them. And then the episode after that, the one right before this, Diane Chambers Day, you know, ends, you know, with Sam and Diane kissing very passionately and they're about to go to bed together again. And, and because Sam is actually honest and, and truthful for once, he says the, the noble thing and Diane calls it off and, and stops them. So it felt like they were just building towards this thing where they're going to get back together. And then after this, we have a three-part finale when uh, I won't get into it. We'll save that for the next episode. But like this one just feels like, okay, pause, like the main stuff. Like There's real this, momentum in, in based yeah. on the, the, the plot line of these last couple episodes. And yeah. one of the primary and it's, things... It's, it's, like, it's like NBC said, no, you need to give us one more episode. And they weren't ready for that. It's funny that you say that because that I actually imagine that's exactly what happened. I have this, I mean, I have a theory, I, I have no way to back it up, but I have a theory, I mean, knowing this season as, as well as I do and as you do, I mean, the last two episodes are clearly building towards something and without getting at all into the specifics of the this, this multi-part season finale, there is a, you know, there's a, a very stark relation there, like plot-wise and character development-wise, that this episode just kind of douses cold water on. And I don't, you know, and, and one of the things about, sitcoms like Cheers is that they're either all in on serialized storylines or it's like one and done, like four, four episodes. And, and this, uh, you know, you either have a multi-episode arc about Sam and Diane and the on again, off again stuff or the status of the bar, um, or you have just kind of one-off episodes that are extremely entertaining where, where stuff happens, but you can sort of dispose of the plot lines uh, pretty quickly and here it felt like, especially in, you know, it, it felt like they were trying to cram a lot in and trying to make glancing reference, especially early on to what had happened in the previous episodes. And it just didn't work for me. 
Yeah, yeah. I, it's actually one of the few episodes that seems to have a continuity reference to a previous episode. When get into it, like when the the episode, the main part of the episode picks up, Sam, you know, comes back. He had spent like the weekend at the mountains with this girl named Andrea, and Diane is visibly hurt about this because that despite the fact that they almost slept together, you know, he's he's willing to jump into bed with another woman. She calls. She him makes reference. She makes reference yeah. to what happened last week, and that unless it's like a a, a very heavy plot that's going on unless it's actually a two-parter it that never happens that never yeah. happens like where that she just made this reference to this thing that import, seemingly important thing that happened the prior week and they just mm-hmm. dispensed with it and just like moved on it was so jarring yeah because he, and because he reminds her he's like like she she says something to the effect of like we were at passion's door or something like that and he's like well i knocked and nobody answered so i went next door to andrea and and took her to the mountains so yeah we have this thing where diane is not willing to commit totally to sam and yet she's expecting him to be monogamous for her but Which might be an interesting it. plot line if they'd explored and, and, something in it. And to an extent, that is part of the, the motivation going into the finale, the next episode. But they don't do anything else with it in this one. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. It's like yeah. they were just kind of teetering on the edge of a potentially continuing a potentially interesting storyline and going places. And like I said, they just seem to like, you know, just dump a, like a lot of cold water on the idea and just like okay. move on to an entirely different storyline. So like my thing is, are, is this a fun one-off? Or is this like dealing with serialized themes moving forward? It just it just felt like very perky jerky to me. And uh, another potential explanation for that, I mentioned uh, the episode written by Miriam Trogden. This is her first writing credit on IMDb. Um, oh wow! Okay. So I, I mean, obviously, if she was good enough to get in the door and they gave her a script, they said write this episode. I, I'm you know I'm not saying that she was a bad writer by any means. And she, if you go on IMDb, she has about two dozen writing credits, and she was actually a producer on a bunch of different sitcoms for, throughout the 90s. Uh, she'd be like a consulting or an executive producer on like several sitcoms, like uh, the, the Delta Burke show that was on after Designing Women uh, and, and okay. so, a few other stuff. But um, yeah, I'm just wondering if she was kind of like the the junior writer in the room and they were like, shoot the, you know, the president, the president said, we need another episode here, kid. This is your like step up to the plate. Basically. Maybe they threw her some notes. It's like, you've got to acknowledge what happened between Sam and Diane in the previous week, but we can't really advance that story forward. So you got to do something else. So it could have been, she wasn't as strong a writer as the others, or it could have been her hands were tied or they just, I don't know. They just had kind of a fluff, Fluff story. It could have been. I think that's right. All those are possibilities. It could have also been because she was so green. Like it could have just been an episode put together by committee, as often happens in those writers' room. And sometimes I do think. I think there. I think there are some aspects where a few characters, like I mean, well, kind of towards the end of the climax, Woody feels a little bit out of character, maybe for what we the Woody that we know and love. Sure, I, I think that's right, and I think you know another big a macro thing I'd say about the episode is that it seemed like the two big plots um even though they were technically interrelated one like sort of the the situation with the bar and like sam's ego and his his need to innovate and have new ideas to like transform the bar that kind of ran smack into this idea of replacing woody because of the um the the you know having too many uh, uh bartenders i just felt like either of those would have been interesting enough to delve into for 22 minutes and as have that as the a plot and it felt like those were two a plots that they just kind of cut in half 
there was too much time on it to be, you know, inconsequential, but not nearly enough time to actually explore it to get anywhere interesting, both the replacing Woody angle and the sort of Sam's ego and, and trying to transform the bar. Right. Um, kind of two half-baked ideas that didn't really get us where we wanted to go. Right, right. Uh, okay, so going through the episode as a whole, like hitting those, um, I think this is probably telling that the funniest part of the episode is the teaser. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cliff comes in and he's really upset. He's babbling to himself, just kind of like having like a one-sided conversation. Uh, and, and Carla and Norm are actually making this joke. Like he, like he talks, like, like, you know, he talks like even when he's by himself is like, okay, but nobody, if nobody is there to hear it, does it make a sound sort of like the tree falling in the woods riddle? Um, it ends up that Cliff is talking about his, his uh, car he needs a new uh, transmission or something, and Norm recommends that his mechanic can fix anything. And Woody goes, well, can he fix a toaster? I've got a broken toaster. And Norm's like, no, they only fix things in the cars. And Woody's like, well, mine is in my trunk right now. <laughs> and, and he's like, okay, we have to be a little bit more literal. So Norm is like, all right, they only fix things that originally came with the car when you bought it. And what he's like, mine did. It was part of a promotion. He's like, if that I bought a best. convertible, they would have thrown in a food processor. <laughs> and at that point, Norm is defeated. And he just hands him the, the phone number. He's like, ask for Luis. He doesn't speak English. So Yeah, like that That setup and payoff was definitely the highlight of the episode. Yeah. Um, and, and, and just like the comic timing that George Went had once uh, Woody Harrelson was just like, oh, it was part of a promotion. And what, what, what was the guy he had? He's like, ask for Raul or something. He ask for Luis, English. yeah. Luis, he doesn't speak English. Just like perfectly well-timed. Then picking up, uh, Frasier is down again. This time, at least he's not pining over Diane because he actually did try to go on a date with another woman. Um, but said he when he went there, she was in the middle of a shower. And Diane's like, well, couldn't you have waited for her? And he clarifies, it was a bridal shower. And that's because he scheduled the he scheduled the date two months ago and didn't confirm. Uh, just to clarify, is that Frazier's only meaningful uh, activity in the entire episode? Because that's my memory. Um, he, well, actually, one of the things that almost made my home run is he, he does make fun of the Order of the Caribou later on. But then by the oh, gotcha. end of the episode, there's a sight gag where we see him almost being inducted into the organization. Like he's swearing okay. his own. Like, that's um, right. But, that's right. Missed that. Yeah. But pretty much, yeah, that's pretty much it for Frazier in this one. And we have the whole thing, Sam coming in, talking then, uh, talking to Diane about the, going to the mountains. We skip that. So Sam calls all of his employees into the office for a meeting. Um, probably should have done that before the bar opened <laughs> like when it's when it's not packed it's like it's like this is your- true i do think like them having to uh could, them having to having the power to uh force him to give them each a dollar uh <laughs> made up for that yeah that was good like that nobody makes a move they're like in, in unison yeah. so. um and then norm actually goes in that for the staff meeting too as the accountant um, but yeah, it's like, there's 30 people in the bar. Like, why are you bringing everybody into the office right now? Uh, yeah, because, exactly. Yeah. Um, so then he mentions that there's this other Sox player who has three bars and Sam, you know, he's feeling his competitive and, and he wants that success. And he asks, what is cheers missing? And what he goes, a mechanical bull. And Sam just kind of like hangs his head. He's like, Woody, that's one of those questions when you don't really want an answer. And Woody goes, oh, you mean rhetorical. And there's a bit where Sam has to look to Diane and Diane nods like, yeah, that's the right word. 
It felt like, and you might have alluded to this earlier, like it felt like that was one of those, it was one of those moments where it didn't necessarily ring true that Woody would know that. But I will say that, the, again, the payoff made it worthwhile. Um, yeah. Like that sight gag of Sam, like looking at Diane and her just kind of quietly affirming that. <laughs> yeah. Sam says that he wants to be the full-time manager slash host, which he always describes that way and kind of puts this little flair on it when he says it. Interesting idea that that's what Rebecca is eventually when she comes in in season six. And that original, I mean, we talked about this when we, we talked about the pilot episode, however many years ago that was, that one of the original ideas for Cheers before it became the show that it was, was that the pilot was going to be a young woman inherits this bar or takes over this bar and is sort of like the becomes like the manager and the hostess for this thing and has to deal with like the the already established like like people there so kind of like rebecca's plot like rebecca's situation in season six was like originally conceived almost as the pilot for the show so well and and the funny thing is rebecca's like idea like like that kind of stems from just sort of the corporate ethos Mm -hmm. of like ownership of the bar right like that's a very like top-down corporate policy and it's just sort of it's just sort of interesting that like that was what was what it occurred to him to do. But like, uh, you know, I guess a slightly larger, you know, kind of bone to pick with that particular aspect of the plot is that I don't want to speak for you, too. But did you get the sense that they were trying to convey that, you know, there was something stagnant or even maybe like troublesome about Cheers financial status? Do you think it was just that he wasn't keeping pace with this new you know, Red Sox pitcher who hadn't made nearly as big a dent with the team as Sam had and yet had this great success? Or was it also that like, whoa, we're really treading water here with Cheers. We need to start making money stat. I, I'm not so sure about that as I think, um, I think part of it was vanity and, and on Sam's part. Okay. Um, because of the way he, the way he described it, he's like, this other guy was only on, like the Sox for like one season. He's like, I played for five years, um, putting a little bit of a, a firm timeline. I think, I think we have established that how many seasons he played there, but, but and he, he says something, he's like, I'm still recognized on the street. And I think Diane says so as a fire hydrant. Um, so I, I think some of it is just his ego of wanting to sort of like step out and be a little bit bigger. I don't know that it's that cheers was in trouble. Although, okay. One of the other things about this episode is it does firmly highlight one of those, like, one of the things that you kind of have to dance around the reality of this world, which is that Cheers, a bar that size, only has two bartenders. Yeah. It's one of those things like where we always kind of dance, like, like who else works there besides Woody and Carla and 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 Diane or whatever like that? Like, like what, ta- what happens when one of them has a day off? Or like, and there's pretty healthy volume many yeah. more, uh, customers many many times like throughout the episodes throughout the seasons so yeah, like, i mean you really like, are gonna that, that's a like, huge bar that can accommodate a lot of people like and yeah so it, yeah it's ridiculous so, but but that's one of those things where like you don't talk about it you don't acknowledge yeah. that i'm fine suspending my disbelief as long as they don't like pick at that scab too much right but now they have to they have to say that you know sam can only afford two bartenders so and, and if one of them is in it's like Really? So then you and Woody are working every single day or the bar is closed three days a week? Or like, how does this work? Like, Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I feel like there was this like long held mutual 
agreement among the audience that like, just like with the members that, you know, the characters on friends who could weirdly afford those apartments <laughs> in, in Manhattan. It's just like, all right, you know, go with it. It's fine. But like an episode like this, like I said, just kind of focuses on, you know, issues of hiring and firing and capacity to the point where like, you can't sort of unsee the structural unsustainability of the having just a couple of bartenders, because like I said, there are plenty of episodes where like the place is hopping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Probably the best part is like Norm cut piping in and just saying, he's like, I, I think this is a really bad idea. It's like, you could, you could lose your bit. Like you could, you could lose the bar if this doesn't succeed. He's, he says, I'd stake my career on it. And Bud Sam goes, you're unemployed. And he's like, all right, I'd stake your career on it. <laughs> yeah. And it just, you know, it's just another reminder of the fact that, you know, Norm is just one of those characters that is rep- reflective of so many people who, despite like a less than meteoric ascent in their own career, is incredibly intelligent about like very common sense, practical matters related to their career. Like, I never got a sense with Norm, you know, like Norm speaks with such confidence about this kind of stuff that his his station in life is more a circumstance of like choice yeah, than like- anything else <laughs> because he is like really wise about like accounting stuff. And this mm-hmm. is just another way when he occasionally dispenses his wisdom, like he never seems in over his head. Um, and so it just it's just, just like a stark reminder. It's like, oh, yeah, like he speaks with with authority. He knows of what he speaks of. Yeah, we. I think I talked about that on a, one of the previous episodes. Is that it seems at least that Norm is genuinely a really good accountant and good with numbers. Yeah, yeah. he just doesn't like to work at all. Yeah. <laughs> like he yeah. just like he just has the, a terrible work ethic, and he tries to to cut back and do like do as little as possible. But he is good at that work. Yeah, like I, I feel like I, he is as credible, if not more credible, about like numbers and accounting and finance. As like Diane is, for example, when she's like like spouting like psychobabble, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and it just it's just kind of a, a nice little reminder that like we have kind of come to appreciate and understand Norm as just kind of a you know a wayward dude, um, just kind of like trapped in the station in life and more or less fine with it. But he actually is quite intelligent, and when he speaks on these subjects, like I take him quite seriously. So yeah, I was not surprised that he was just very calmly like, yeah, don't do this. And that like, you know, that kind of sets up a red flag that like, oh yeah, he's probably going to be right. Uh, so at some point, sometime later, it's not quite clear how much time has passed, but uh, Sam has made this transition now to manager slash host, but he's he's now hired this other bartender named Ken. And there's a good exchange between Diane and Woody when he, Woody says that Ken must be nervous working around a bartender of Woody's experience. And then we see Kenny juggling like fruit, like lemons and limes and catching them on a, on a, <laughs> a paring knife. And Woody's like, oh, he seems to be adjusting. <laughs> um, Sam gets the books, the fraternal order of the caribou. He has this entire spread of food and everything. And he says, this is the night they put cheers on the map. And then the, the, the caribou come down and it's only three guys. Well, what I love I about that is like the, ga- the sight gag, which, where we're like they, the, the first guy comes in first for yeah. some reason. Like he's still, even though there are only three of them, like the head caribou still has to like announce the entrance of the group as if like, we're all ready for you. Yeah. And I still couldn't, I still couldn't see it coming that it was just going to be a couple of guys, even though, you know, I guess you could telegraph it if you sit and think about where the episode was going creatively, but that, that was a nice little touch. And it was just, it, it, it just also gives, you know, 
adds to the, this notion of like caribous and elk and people in those kinds of like civic oriented clubs as like incredibly pompous, like with a very little reason to be so. Yeah. yeah. And Diane says, you're right about the map. Cheers population, three caribou and one jackass. Which was I love that line. It was yeah. great. Yeah. Well delivered, well written. And then without like pretty much without any more, because we're like already uh, so deep into the episode, like Sam just goes back and, and Diane tells him, she's like, you can't afford this anymore. You have to stop. He's like, I know we have to go back to the way things were. But, like we only kind of see this one failure, this one plan that goes bad. So that means he has to fire Ken. He doesn't want to. And at perfect timing because at that point, Ken walks in. He's like, can you say, I, like, I want you to meet my family. And he brings in his wife and he's got two little kids and the kids sit on Sammy's knee as the, as Ken is kind of telling him, you know, how, how much of a relief this was, you know, things were get, times were pretty lean for the family and they had to make some sacrifices, but it's great that now, you know, this has really changed him around. Um, so Sam has to call Woody into the office, but the kids stay there. The kids stay there sitting on Sam's knees and he tells Woody that he can only afford two bartenders and Woody is perhaps legitimately not getting it or, or acting like he doesn't. Um, but I, I, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. So again, like this was the part that I kind of, when you love these characters as much, like it, it's hard to see them, like when they have to sort of come into conflict, like with against each other, like in this one, like even just knowing that it's not permanent, the, the idea that Sam has to fire Woody now for something so trivial in this episode just makes well, me like, and it didn't for me, it didn't ring true. I mean, because you know, one thing that we we did not uh, we didn't mention was in that scene. I think right after the kids were introduced and were sitting on Sam's lap, like. You know, he and Diane seem to come to a mutual consensus that like, oh, we can't do this to Ken. Of course, we've got to whack Woody. And like they started like planning how it could be done. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't Diane kind of gently say that like, well, if you just kind of broach the subject and, she, you know, maybe Woody will get the hint and volunteer. And it didn't ring true because, look, I know he only jumped on board at the beginning of season four, but pretty well established as mm-hmm. one of the one of the characters like one of the guys like an indispensable part of cheers and it just felt like they kind of hand waved that situation away i mean like look i guess my fundamental complaint about this episode lies in this in the specifics of this plot because if it was the cheers that i know and love and that was firing on all cylinders the way that it was during this era and for the most part during the majority of its run then the plot would have been you know, if they were going to expand this, the plot would have been, how do we come up with some harebrained scheme to get rid of Ken? Mm-hmm. Like, they they just kind of, like, weakly looked at these kids. And I get it, right? I get the psych gag. I get it. Like, they were angelic, and, like, Ken was pumping his hand vigorously, talking about how we just come through a hard time and how great this is. But, like, that's Woody, man. Like, you don't just dispense with Woody with, like, a 30 to 60 second chat with Diane about, like, well, you know, got to get rid of Woody. What, what are you going to do? Yeah, it just... It just felt false. Yeah, um, I mean, it know. could have been a it could have been a thing where it's just Sam offers him a, like um, a severance pay that he really can't afford. That kind of puts him in the same financial dire straits situation. Yeah, like, just to, to kind of like a cushion that he hopes will help his family. But you're also right because I mean, like they they make this case that you know Woody is young, he's unattached, and everything. But I mean, if this had been a coach episode, if coach had still been around, would the logic have been? I got a fire well, coach instead of Ken. Yeah, like, and like in, in the second episode of the season, I mean, you know this stuff better than I do, but like, isn't like the second or third episode of this season four, which is, you know, right after Woody comes and joins the bar, 
doesn't like Diane fly out his girlfriend from Hanover, Indiana? Because, yeah, like, yeah, that's right so away. Much. Yeah. yeah, and like, again, I, it's one of those situations where I don't want to delve too much into these types of mechanics because like, you know, a sitcom's got to do what a sitcom's got to do. And sometimes like long-term logic has to be sacrificed for like short-term laughs and entertainment. But like, this just felt like really off the mark. I mean, you know, not any kind of like grappling or dilemma. And it just also goes to my other main criticism of the episode, which I mentioned, which was like, you have these two halfway interesting ideas that could be more interesting plots of fully fleshed out. Like I would have loved an episode that dealt with Sam just kind of running around like a chicken with its head cut off to try and like, you know, like uh, spruce up the bar's reputation and attendance through these harebrained schemes to have like Diane and Carla and Woody or, or some combination sit him down and just be like, what's wrong with you? You're this, you know, like you're clearly showing how much of a insecure you are about aging and like kind of falling out of paper. You could have made an interesting episode out of that. Also, you could have made an interesting episode about like, you know, a cash crunch at the bar or like some, some economic situation that required, you know, a, a new bartender or getting rid of what, someone like Woody and then the, the dilemma that would ensue and like hijinks that would have to, you know, uh, take place to like get rid of the new guy to keep Woody. But like shoehorning in these two and then not giving them adequate time results in this kind of idea where it's like, oh, well, Woody's got to go. What do you mean Woody has to go? We've known this other guy for like, like four days in, in the show and like, you know, five minutes for you and me, like, mm -hmm. come on. Like, I don't care how cute his kids are. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, and, and part of that is also, we barely have time to sit and, and deal with the gravity of that. Like what do you, what he goes, he, he, he's like, okay, I get it. You're, you're going to, you're firing me. And he's like, all right, I'll make it this easy. And he, he kind of walks and leaves. And as soon as he's out the door, Ken comes back in and says, I just got this job from a guy at the, the Harvard club. And Sam bolts out the door to get Woody back. And it's like, okay, we like, we haven't even emotionally processed the idea that he just, he had to fire Woody or Woody's quitting. And now he's begging him to come back. And then it just turns on this thing like where Woody's like insulted that he was so disposable at this moment. And he turns that around and shrewdly gets Sam to give him this raise that he can't really afford to give him. And it's like, this doesn't feel like Woody, this also like just the, like the emotional turmoil of it. Things are just moving too fast. And I, I think you're right. We're just not, yeah, there's just the ideas. They just threw a lot of stuff in here really fast and it's not fully developed. Yeah. It, it just like tonally it felt off. And like in terms of Sam's fundamental character and Woody's fundamental character, it felt off. And to an extent, Diane too, because Diane, I think by this point has grown as attached to Woody as anyone else in the bar. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and she's also a naturally compassionate person. Um, so as, 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 as sympathetic as she might've felt for, you know, Ken, the situation again, like these are also people like, you know, the benchmark of cheers, the trademark of cheers is like the loyalty. A lot of these characters have to each other. Um, and so, yeah, it just felt, you know, I wasn't even mad at it. I wasn't mad at Sam or mad at Diane because I didn't believe it fundamentally. I just didn't like buy into the plot device that they were had just thrown on us um, mm -hmm. that episode. It just felt kind of rushed and, and like kind of half-assed a little bit. Mm -hmm. And and then just at the very, like even the bumper, the very end, the last little line when, you know, he, Sam has agreed to giving Woody a $100 a month raise. And then just Sam is like, no, that's too much for you. How about $30 a week? And Sam's like, deal, deal. And it's like, okay, that, that's on one hand, it seems too smart for Woody and too dumb for Sam. 
to just not yeah, understand the absolutely. mathematics of that. And, and way too smart for Woody, especially when you've given him the rhetorical question bit. Right. Yeah. It's just quite a, yeah, it's just like these guys are, you know, these are just kind of zombie <laughs> versions of these characters for, for some stretches of the episode and just not enough to, to sell it to me and make it believable. And like, if you're, if you're going to give me stuff that's like not super believable, you got to make it entertaining. And it just, it just felt like a lot of like table setting for weird stuff that like didn't really matter. And I didn't really buy into it. I feel bad that we've kind of been pounding on this episode, but I do have to add just one more additional negative. And this is more kind of big picture overall, kind of a grisly little fact. Um, the actress who played the little girl, Ken's daughter, uh, this sure. actress named Judith Barcy, apparently two years after this episode aired, that girl w- and her mother were both murdered. Um, oh, this no. is just something I found on IMDb. If that's wrong, I apologize to the, to the family. But oh, uh, man. Yeah, okay. this, according to IMDb, the, the little girl who played the um, – and I feel terrible because that little girl actually has my home run for this episode – but yeah, she uh, apparently yeah. That's so try very very terrible fact. And I hate to yeah, that's a bizarre that on another uh, almost like this yeah, is like a, like a cursed episode or something. It's not only yeah. one of the weaker ones, but it has this this thing attached to it. Um, for Norm's tab, he had three beers this episode, which means he has had three hundred and sixty eight for the series up to this point. Um, okay, okay. Getting into the employee of the week, despite. So despite not always being in character, I think Woody was the highlight of this episode for when he was being on in the teaser and then like with the rhetorical question part, that, those type of things. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. I would agree with Woody, but mainly for the business with the teaser. Mm-hmm. Um, for the home run, for the, the best part, I actually thought it was when uh, Sam had Woody sitting down with Ken's kids on his knees and he was trying to explain like he was trying to say I need to fire you without actually saying it and he was like do you understand what I'm saying Woody and the little girl goes I do I do and she, she actually figured it out beforehand and Sam that's like no 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 stop, stop. he like kind of scoots her out of their way but I it's, yeah, I, yeah it's funny that you say that and, and that's a that's a very nice moment and ironically enough the home run I'd pick is um her brother after Diane is waxing on about seeing the two of them on Sam's knees, um, you know, to come and, and it was just like, what did she say? Like, Oh, goodbye cherubs or something. And like <laughs> they wait a beat and the guy, the little boy's like, I don't like her. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. Um, and my runner up for the homework would be actually be the whole, the whole bit in the teaser. Cause again, I just, I thought the teaser was like more legitimately funny than a lot of the stuff. And, um, it sucks. I, like, again, like, I just think like, yeah, but the, I agree with you, the plot lines, like it, it seemed like you had two different story ideas that were neither one fully developed and kind of thrown together, hoping that they would supplement each other and kind of like pick up the slack, but they didn't just because they kind of clashed and they made the characters sound inauthentic and, with, with, and just kind of hinge on this, this emotional climax that just doesn't work. Yeah, like the most generous thing I would say about it is it seems like if Cheers had had the trajectory of a normal, normal, successful sitcom and and, uh, instead of like the creative juggernaut that it was like, this seems like the kind of episode where like you just throw together like near the tail end of the series when like character logic and like plot logic have like long since like been thrown out the window and you just need to like pump out product. Um where you're just kind of cobbling together ideas. And I really did. 
despite the writing credit, it really does because you know the, the guild rules are so weird. Like right. it really does feel it really does feel like a writing by committee mm-hmm. um, effort, and that's just too many cooks in the kitchen. I just it, it struck me as like instead of like cheers, I, this felt like I remember like I wrote this down. It was just like this feels like if like you know like a wing season eight or season nine thing where it's like, yeah, we just got to keep this on. And, uh, all right, what are we going to do? Um, uh, you know what, uh, maybe they've got to bring in some elks and, uh, you know, bring in another bartender and Woody feels threatened and, you know, well, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. And like, so there's no thought given to like character consistency or anything like that. You know, it's at the long past the sell by date of the shows where you writers are just kind of brought in every week who have no commit underlying commitment to who these people are. There's a new director for hire every week. And then they're just like, all right. And the actors have long since started mailing it in. So it's just like, all right, we're going to do this. Keep getting them checks. It was just surprising. By, by that standard, it was fine and probably a cut above. But by the standard, by the very high standards that Cheers has established throughout its entire run, but in my opinion, especially these first few seasons, um, it, it's going to stand up. Yeah, yeah, agreed. So. I promise you guys listening that the next three episodes are better. <laughs> they are. They yeah. absolutely are. And the next time Omar is on the show, Omar will have a better episode. I promise him that too. So I'm always happy to dive on these grenades for you, Ryan, anything for the show. I appreciate that too. And uh, you, you will be back at some point in the future, but until that happens, uh, listeners, I want to thank all of you out there who check out Cheers Cast and support the show by liking and sharing on Facebook, favoriting and retweeting on Twitter, and leaving a comment on the website fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also support the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Special thanks to Ashford Wright from the Right On Podcast Network and Rick from Jeff and Rick Presents, who sponsor this show. For more information on how you can support your favorite show on the Fire and Water Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And until next time, we're closed. It's my paper boy, Nami. He's hitting every place but the front porch. So I got a little plan worked out now. I'm going to get this. 4.30 tomorrow morning in the a.m. going to put on the old camouflage jacket, uh, stick a couple of branches behind my ears, and duck into the rhododendron bush. He's smart, but I'm a little bit smarter. You talking about the kid or the rhododendron bush? 